Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 294 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by the former heavyweight world title challenger, former US number one heavyweight. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are we doing, my friend? I'm doing, I'm doing good, my man. How are you? Always good when speaking with you. Always good when speaking with you. So again, let's dive straight into this this show here. It's going to be um, pretty straightforward. We're going to start with the review part. Then we're going to do um, an interview. That interview, by the way, is um, with, with Jean Pascal, which of course was recorded last week, by the way. And since then, he's, he's um, failed a drugs test. His fight with Badu Jack, which was supposed to be taking place this weekend, is now off. But he is the interview. Um, if I can get anyone on the end of the show, I will. But as it stands, just Jean Pascal from that interview there. Um, then, of course, in part two, we will do the news and the preview part. Again, if I can get a guest on while we're recording this, then... There will be guest number two, but if not, then just Jean Pascal. Um, so yeah, I apologise about that. Um, anyway, with, with with no more to say, let's get on to the review part of the show. We're going to start here at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, USA. Um, this one was on Showtime. Let's start with that undercard. Um, a good win for Gary Antoine Russell. He's now fourteen and zero with fourteen KOs. A knockout in the sixth round against Giovanni Santiago, whose claim to fame was a kind of close-ish loss to Adrian Broner in February. Um, Broner took his O, so he, he he went into this fight with a record of 14-1 and one with a draw. However, um, Gary Antoine Russell once again, you know, another knockout. He's still got that 100% KO streak going. Um, yeah, I think his corner stopped it in, in, uh, at the end of round six, something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. unbelievable to still keep it going. And I tell you what, he, he looks really good to me, man. There was times in the fight where they were both swinging at each other and, um, just, you know, the, the IQ, the, the, the measure of distance, you know, throwing and, and, um, you know, stepping out, stepping back in. He seems to, I don't know, man, it's something in that family. They're all special. <laughs> mm-hmm. They are. That kid is good, man. At first, first glance, uh, I was looking, I was like, yeah, he's a little, he's a little, he's doing a little too much. But then as I watched, because I had turned it on a little later, not, not like, I still was like, what, the second round? I think I turned it on it. Because I was watching, I was trying to watch both cards, uh, two different cards at at one time, one on the zone and one on showtime. So I kind of got to it a little late, but I think it was like the second round, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, at first it looked like he was doing a little bit too much, a little too, you know, it seemed like trying too hard at first. But then as I started to watch and what he was doing and how he was – you know, setting the distance at certain points, throwing certain punches at certain times, and the entire repertoire. We're talking about every punch, you know, known to man he was throwing, and as a southpaw, utilizing a really, really good jab. You know what I'm saying? Which was, which was really, really, really nice to see. I think. Wait, he is he a southpaw? Or was the other kid southpaw? I'm, I'm kind of losing my. No, he's a southpaw, just like his brother. That's what I figured. So, and he was utilizing the good jab too, and. He was, and then what it was like, I think it was uh, his rear uppercut, the left uppercut, I think, that he landed a couple good, like, I mean, he, it was the uppercut that was like, I think, the shot that, like, got the kid in trouble. And then uh, he started landing, he was already landing the left hand, but the left hand then started to find a home. And after a while, the kid just couldn't recover. And it was, I was saying, in the, you know, in the, in the round right before they stopped there, right before when he went to the corner, to, uh, uh, I think it was round six they were going to be going into, round six or seven. And uh, I was saying, I think they, I think this fight's over. They need to stop it. 
Sure enough, as soon as I said at this corner, I can hear him talk, talking to him like, yeah, we're going to stop it. And he had no beef with it at all. He knew. He knew at that point that he was fighting a losing battle. So Gary on to Antoine Russell is as, as, is as advertised and as and every bit as good as, as the other family members. Kid can fight. He's going to be he's special. And he got extra pop. Like, it's not like regular. Like, he got some so he got speed and power. So it's going to be a good – it's going to be – that's a, that's a good situation for him going forward. Yeah, I agree, and I cannot wait to see his career unfold. Um, elsewhere on the card, Subriel Matias, 16-1 going in. Every single fight he'd been in um, had ended, you know, before the distance. He had 16 KOs in those wins, and his one loss was by a KO. He got in there with um, Batizan Jukambiev, who was 18-0 and with 14 KOs himself. Now, Jukambiev was down in the fourth round, um, then he got back up, then he hurt Matias, it seemed, and then in the end, he ended up, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say quitting, I'm not sure he quit, but his corner stopped it, maybe he wanted to stop it, I don't know, but anyway, the, the corner stopped it, um, in, in, I think it was in between round eight and nine, uh, Jukambiev, you know, it was a bit strange, really, because, I mean, his face was all swollen up and stuff like that. I'm not sure what was going on. You couldn't hear what they were saying in the corner. There was a language barrier, of course. But um, quite a close fight on the cards as well at the time of the stoppage. Um, but a good fight, a really good fight with two bangers. And, you know, we, we didn't expect it would probably even reach round eight, but it did. Um, you want to say anything, or should we move on to the main event? Well, honestly, I... I was, I, we were just talking about it off, 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 uh, off the radio, but, um, basically, um, I, he's the kid, Matias, he has a good, uh, a, a weird style and one that I normally most of the time would not necessarily go for. Obviously you like the exciting fighters and all of that stuff, but I like skill the most, but with this dude, it was, it's, it's kind of, it's a weird thing. Whereas He's extremely busy but heavy-handed, and it may seem like he does not really pay attention much to defense, which at times I don't think he does, and that's how he got hurt in this fight. But a lot of the times he's really he's really good catching shots with his hands and putting his you know and 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 catching and taking off of the shots. You know what I'm saying? Like the power off him, and uh, and he's just busy and he got good hand speed and obviously heavy hands. So it's like. He has that. It's a weird kind of style, but I kind of like it, and I think he'll do. I think he'll do well, but he's gonna have to get a little bit more. He's gonna have to calm down a little bit on the on the activity at times, and know when you know it's 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 time to be busy and time to box or or time to press. And that's one thing about him, though. He's always on your case, and he's always keeping his hands on you. So that that in itself is gonna be you know makes it difficult for guys, but he got to know when to do it. And sometimes he needs to come off the gas and learn how to, and learn how to, uh, you know, hold. Because when he got hit and hurt by this kid, it, uh, it kind of he, he instead of trying to, you know, maybe hold or get himself back together, he was still throwing shots. So, you know, I can see how that one loss he, he got was by stoppage. Maybe it was one shot, but it could have been something where he got hurt and just kept trying to fight back. And sometimes you just gotta, it's okay to try to fight back at, you know, to some point if you feel like you're still out of your legs. But once they're gone, you gotta you gotta find a way to keep fighting. You know what I mean? So, much as I do like the kid, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to learn some of those things as he gets more experience. Yeah, no, again, you're right, you're right for sure. But no, a good fight, you know, a good fight. I think both guys still. You know, early mm. enough in their respective careers to, to, you know, to improve and stuff like that. Especially um, Jukambiev, he needs to come back from that one there. Um, the main event. The main event, Nordi Nubali, the 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 undefeated at the time, seventeen and O WBC world bantamweight champion, stepped in against Nonito Donaire, a sizable underdog Donaire. Um, yeah, Donaire now forty one and six, a KO in round four for Donaire. Ubali, of course, down twice in the third round, and then down once in the fourth, where referee Jack Reese stopped the action. Um. Absolutely incredible. I mean, Donaire, I feel like, started the fight pretty good in, in the first round. You know, in all the rounds, really. Um, he dropped he dropped to Bali twice in the third, like we say, and it was Donaire's signature left hook for the first knockdown. And then the second one, which was 
devastating. It was on the bell, on the bell to end round three. Um, again with the left hook, Obali dropped to the floor like he was shot. You know, it was it was it was terrible. Completely collapsed face first. I didn't think he'd be able to recover with the, with the sixty seconds between the rounds. I didn't even think he'd get up to be honest. But to his credit, he got up. Um, you know, he went back. He went back on shaky legs. Jack Reese was thinking about stopping it right there. Um, he made him walk up and down and put his gloves up a few times. He got back to his corner, had the sixty seconds, and to his credit, he actually did look okay early on in the next round. Um, it didn't last long because he was knocked out, obviously, during that round. Then it was a combination that finished up with a left uppercut to end proceedings. Nonito Donaire, you know, we had him on. Um, a number of times over the years, but we had him on a few weeks ago, and he becomes the oldest bantamweight world champion in history. Um, you yeah. know, like I say, uh, an underdog um, to to go in there and knock out Ubali. No one saw it saw it ending in a knockout. By the way, it was it was like um, Ubali to win on points was what was expected to happen. Um, yeah, and I just feel like Nonito Donaire, I, I put a tweet out, you know, he doesn't need these wins for his legacy. He's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, you know, <laughs> he did say to me on, on, on the podcast a few weeks ago that, that he feels he could go on for another 10 years if he wanted to. And and a win like that makes you, makes you believe every word of what he's saying. Unbelievable fighter, Eddie. And he's been... He's been in the game 20 years. He's been at the top level for such a long time. Unbelievable. Yeah, they, they were talking about his fight with Vic Darchinian 14 years ago. That's a long time ago, man. And I was thinking, and you know, I'm tells you I'm getting older. I'm a year older than him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he's, his skill set, I think, too. And don't get me wrong, age, you know, father time catches up to everybody. But they got to take a back seat for, to him for now. <laughs> but his style and his counterpunching ability and his eyes and just his obviously his love for the game and his and his uh, uh dedication to it is what's keeping him around these at this age because at a bantamweight at the, the small guys man is really rare this is extreme like you see the the second oldest was 35 33 was like the norm like the norm you know not the norm and that was like old so for somebody to be 38 still doing it and winning a title and looking like he could really still do something. It's really special at that weight and his ability and his, like I said, his dedication, it just shows through, man. You could just see it, you know, with everything he does. And it's funny when I was watching it and I was, like I said, I was flipping back and forth through both cards and uh, I saw some things that he was doing and he didn't at the time drop them just yet. But I was looking, I was like, damn, he legitimately could beat this kid and and probably stop him. And sure enough, I was flipping back. I didn't want to keep flipping and, and staying too long with one of the other fights. But then I ended up flipping back and then realizing that, damn, the fight, he done dropped him a couple of times in the last one. I seen was, uh, the, you know, the last knockdown when I actually turned it at the right time. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, you, I, it's funny. I, it's not so much that I predicted it. It's just I could see it happen. And with him and his ability and his power and, and, and the counterpunching ability he has, definitely possible. And as long as he keeps on and stays healthy and eats right and does all the things he needs to do, he still, even at that way, still can be a player, more than a player, obviously. He's already a, he's a titleist right now. But I feel like he can still, he can still do some things. I don't know about anyway, but it's still it's, it's, it's a possible uh, rematch there. He still has a chance. You know what I'm saying? So I look forward to seeing what he's doing, what he's going to do in the next couple of, uh, well, actually this next year. Yeah, and that's a that's a rematch. I know he wants. That's a rematch. He he again said on 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 the podcast to me a few weeks ago that that is the fight he wants more than anything. Um, I mentioned that you know he could have a unification with. Um, with John Real Casemiro, that's another Filipino fighter. They can actually now unify because he's won that title there on the weekend. They can now unify belts at bantamweight. But more interested uh, was was he in in the Inoue fight, which again was still one of the best fights I've seen for 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 many years. It was such a brilliant fight, high skills. Um, 
Anyways, moving on, because that, I mean, unbelievable. I could talk about Donaire all day. Moving on now to the Michelob Ultra Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Over here, uh, let's start with the undercard. Chantel Cameron, friend of the show, now 14-0. and 0. She was able to TKO in five rounds. Melissa Hernandez, now 23-8 and 8 with three draws. It was for Cameron's WBC female super lightweight title. Hernandez down in round four. Um, she was fantastic. Fantastic, uh, Chantel Cameron. The whole, the whole of like these US USA um, fighters, the the girls, not not so much the men, but the girls were watching it all behind Hernandez, saying they want her to win or they think she's going to win. Uh, Clarissa Shields was one of them. Ebony Bridges as well was getting involved for some reason. Um, all of them though, after just one round, started tweeting like whoa what the hell like they were all shocked um i i could see it coming i i knew what was going to happen there i thought that perhaps um cameron would cameron would get the late stoppage or the points win but she ended up getting it um in round five it was a terrible stoppage by the way i mean at the end of round four to be honest hernandez looked like she didn't really want to carry on she didn't seem very interested in in, in the corner but yeah to stop it when uh, the referee stopped it in round five it was like not even the right moment to jump in it was just like um i'm not sure what was going on there it was probably um hernandez's best round for for quite a while to be honest but the referee jumped in and stopped it one of the worst stoppages i've seen in in years instant booze from the crowd but listen it was completely one-sided and uh hernandez cannot hang with cameron uh, a lot of people can't because she is such a such a good fighter um she's she's always been really excited uh, exciting and i've always said she's probably my favorite female fighter to watch but that was a brilliant win for her really really pleased for her hopefully she's back on the podcast soon um Elsewhere on the card, Jason Quigley, now 19-1. and one. I I um, had a little bet on this one myself. I expected him to win on points against the very tough Shane Mosley Jr. However, I didn't think it'd be as close as what it ended up, and it really was close. It was for the vacant WBO, NABO middleweight title. Shane Mosley Jr. now 17-4. and four. I tell you what, though, his record's not fantastic, but he seems to be improving and improving all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny enough, and I I watched Shane Mosley Jr. and I was I'm a I was uh, and I still am I mean, a massive fan of his dad. You know what I mean? I, I you know all time great. I was a big big Shane Mosley fan. So watching him and then seeing I'm like, damn, he's doing. He looks just like his dad out there throwing those, some of those shots. And honestly, sometimes his his uh, inconsistency on defense also. <laughs> shows up it's kind of like what Shane would do at times and and he definitely definitely tries to sit down on those shots but I think he takes sometimes unnecessary chances and leaves himself out there out to dry a little bit and I think Quigley it was just an exciting type of situation it was just a fight these dudes were going to do not it was going to be knockout knockdown drag out type thing even if they didn't go down um but Shane Shane Jr. was actually doing some good things you know from defense to offense some shoulder rolling bringing right uppercuts, you know, counter right hands, some good stuff, you know what I mean? But I think Quigley was just overall busy, not necessarily, I don't want to say totally busier, but just a little bit more accurate, a little bit more uh, consistent with his offense throughout the fight. And I think, you know, I think it was a deserving thing. I didn't, I didn't hundred percent. Of course I wanted to see Shane's son win, but I just didn't, you know, at looking at the card and the way things were going and, how to fight when I just I didn't think that he did you know to be honest I thought the scorecards were, were were pretty good and you know it was a good fight it was exciting but he just couldn't get over the hunt with it yeah and yeah that was how I expected it to go to be honest I think um Jason Quigley I don't I, I feel like he's maybe missed the bus a little bit I think he was a really promising prospect at one point and I don't know what it's been it's been a bit stop start again he's a guy that's been on the podcast probably two or three years ago maybe maybe even longer than that and his career just hasn't pushed on like everyone thought it would I mean he was an amateur standout um but yeah, I, I expected him to win on points. I felt like the knockout would have been quite um, quite impressive because, you know, Shane Mosley, very, very tough, got a good chin just like his old man. 
But um, yeah, I think I think it was closer than it should have been. Someone like Quigley, with his skills that you know that he that he once upon a time had that bright that bright um, prospect that he was once upon a time. I don't feel like he's still got that shine anymore. But um, we shall see. I'd love to see him go on and you know win a world title. We called out Demetrius Andrade. You know he's a great guy. Like you could see that from the post-fight interview. But. Yeah, I just can't see a way in for him um, against someone like an Andre. That's that's a, a terrible fight for Quigley. Um, elsewhere on the card, Martin J. Ward, friend of the show, stepped in against Azinga Fazil. Uh, Martin J. Ward now 24-2 with two draws. Azinga Fazil now 15-1. Um, Ward down in round four and round seven. Heartbreak for Martin J. Ward. Um, he was caught coming in with a check right hook from Fazil's southpaw stance. You know, a short short, short right hook there. Um, it was kind of an off-balance shot in the fourth round. I don't think Martin J. Ward was hurt at all. I felt like he was bossing things to that point. But a 10-8 round for Fazil. And then, yeah... Um, you know, the final round, which ended up being uh, round seven, is when something was clearly up with, with, with Martin J. Ward's leg. And he started to kind of realize that he's going to need to end the fight as quick as he can. So he started trading with Fuzil. And I think Fuzil was, was probably the heavier-handed guy. And straight away, you know, because Martin J. Ward, he's, he's, he's tough to kind of um, hit clean and stuff like that. But straight away, because he couldn't move... Uh, that that front foot, he was in a lot of trouble, and he he just started swinging, and you know very quickly his left eye got cut. Um, he just decided let's go, you know, and he got dropped hard, and and yeah, he got up. There was about twenty something seconds left in the round, but the towel got thrown in by his corner. Tony Sims there. Um, it all ended so fast, you know. He was he was winning the fight for sure. Um, so heartbreak for him because it was a world title eliminator as well. That one there, and um, I felt like he'd win that on points. I think he was gonna, you know, he was cruising towards that, but. Um, yeah, heartbreak for him. He's he's been very very unlucky to be honest with you. Um, yeah, you know, but good fighter, really good fighter. But that that that's a tough one because the stage of his career now, you know, he got knocked out by James Tennyson. Tennyson went on to box for a world title. Now he loses to this guy here. This guy's going to go on to box for a world title. Obviously, former European, cha- I think he was former European champion Martin J. Ward. Yeah, of course he was. Um, and you know, a former British champion and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just don't know if he's got that um, that ability. To, to, to become a world champion I'd love to see him do it but I'm not quite sure and the main event Devin Haney now 26-0 and 0, a defence successful of his WBC lightweight world title the scorecard's a little bit close for me Jorge Linares now 47-6 and 6. it went the way most people thought it would go a Haney win on points however we said it on last week's show that Linares has been knocked out in all five of his losses does Haney have the power to do it I thought the size could come into play and perhaps, um, you know, he'd just be able to overwhelm Linares and maybe even stop him early. But I don't know. I thought that that would be a, a little bit of a statement. And a lot of people were saying if he doesn't get the stoppage, it's not an impressive win. Um, we're going to talk about it here. I'm going to start with my analysis real quick. I felt that Haney was unbelievably sharp early on. Um, it was cool to see Ben Davison, the, the Brit in the corner. Um, obviously, you know, he was with Josh Taylor in the corner against Ramirez, former trainer of Tyson Fury, um, Billy Joe Saunders. But yeah, completely dominating uh, um, Haney was and he he for me controlled the fight through the first kind of nine rounds or whatever I really had him controlling it I wasn't scoring it round by round but I didn't think it was close at that point and then yeah he walked into one um, in round 10 his legs weren't right for um, for half of the following round I mean he wasn't throwing shots he was looking to hold Every time the crowd were booing, he was in trouble, no doubt about it. Linares was catching him with everything, and it was nervous times. It really was. It wasn't a good look. Um, you know, I've never seen that happen before. You know, the, the um, Haney would hold on to Linares, the referee would break them. You know, he'd probably, I don't know, break them about six feet apart, and then Haney wouldn't try and like dance away and keep the distance, he'd run into Linares and bear hug him straight away again. Um, he didn't even want to dance off the back foot. Very shaky. Um, 
you know, it's not a fantastic look because he did control things, but the way it ended, it was almost like he un. For me, he undid his good work a little bit. At times, he looked superb, but to be in trouble by Linares, an old Linares, late on in a fight and look so vulnerable, you know, holding on for dear life. I don't think that Haney is is ready for some of those bigger names, some of the likes of, um, you know, Lopez, Tiafimo Lopez, Javonte Davis, these guys. A lot of people were also pointing out that he was open for the left hook, which you simply can't be against someone like, uh, you know, a, a Ryan Garcia or, 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 a, or, or a Tank Davis, you know. The crowd were booing Haney after the fight and in the interview. He never seems to understand why people are angry angry with him, you know? Like, he, he has no idea. Like, he's like, I fought this guy. And, you know, people are not happy because you didn't knock the guy out when five other people did. And they're not Devin Superstar Haney. And also, you know, he talks fantastically about being the best and all the rest of it. But for whatever reason, the fights aren't happening for him. Um, Tiafimo has proved it. Javante Davis has proved it. Um, uh, Lomachenko has certainly proved it. These are the, these are the guys that he's he's um, being compared side by side. Ryan Garcia hasn't proved it. That's why he gets a lot of crap too. You know, we want to see how good these young guys are, but he hasn't proved it. And Linares, it's a good win. It's a good win. It's a good name. He didn't knock him out though, but it's a good name. But but how great he was early on. Um, and for the first nine rounds, to to be in that much trouble and seem like he just it took him so long to recover from that shot as well. Um, it it, it just it, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. What did you think though, Eddie? Forget about my amateur um, analysis. You tell me. I like your analysis, to be honest. But to say that he had to have a knockout in order for it to be impressive, I don't think that's accurate. Reason being, not everybody. Not every puncher is created equal. You know what I mean? So it doesn't necessarily mean that just because he didn't knock him out, he's not better than those other guys because he very well could be. It just so happens that he's not the puncher that they are. You know what I mean? I feel like you put Ryan Garcia in there with him, he'll probably knock him out. But that doesn't mean if him and Ryan Garcia got in the ring that he wouldn't beat Ryan. You know what I mean? Same thing with Tank, same thing with Tiafimo. But I think these guys... No, no. Tiafimo, Tiafimo punches. He's big for the weight, no, no, right? No, no, no. Tank, that's I'm... let me no, just quickly what... say, Eddie, I, I don't want to be rude and interrupt, but I just want to say, I know I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Um, Tiafimo, big for the weight, bangs you out. Giovante Davis, small for lightweight, but still bangs people out. Um, and, what? you know, this is in his weight class. Um Mayweather, you you can say Mayweather, fantastic, but you know he wasn't really knocking anyone out at welterweight. It's because really he's not. That's not his weight class. He's he's too small for welterweight, really. But Devin Haney is a giant at lightweight that doesn't have that power. It doesn't make much sense. It, it you would think that, but it's like certain guys just don't punch like that. It's just it, it's it's like I said, punchers are born, not necessarily made. Don't get me wrong. Technique improves it and. You know, working the weights and getting stronger, all those things improve it. But there's a guy that's walking around, little skinny, toothpick-looking guy. It, it, it looks like he can't lift 10 pounds off the ground, hit you with one shot, knock your head completely off your shoulders. You understand what I'm saying? It's not necessarily anything that you can just pinpoint. You know, I mean? that's why you see a lot of wiry guys, those those really thin guys who can punch. It's just something with the with the with the, the mind body connection, I guess. I don't know, but it's it's like with 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 Haney, it's just not there. He can look good. He's the style is great. He throws perfect punches. The timing is great. He just he's just not that guy. But he can beat your ass for twelve rounds. You know, well, and it didn't look like that in this fight. But he can box your head off for twelve rounds generally. But he, I think. And I, we talked about this a little once again off the off of the off uh, out of the show, and I feel like in early in the fight he got a little too overconfident. Oh, he can't punch! I think I heard him say that in the second round, going into the second round. And I'm like, listen, uh, you know, you may feel that way now, but if you put your head out there for him to connect on, he'll show you he can punch. And that's exactly what happened. You keep sitting there trying to exchange with these guys. And that shit happens. You know what I mean? You're supposed to be Devin Haney. You're supposed to be the untouchable. That's how you have to fight. I don't care. You, you, I mean, don't get me wrong. You want to make the crowd happy as much as you possibly can. But 
you still got to win first. And, you know, there was a time in the fight where it looked like, man, he might not make it out of it. Scary time for him. So, you know, you and, and what I was saying about like Tiafimo Lopez and the other guys and how they punch, they're just different guys. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're punchers. They're different than he is. Be a boxer. You fight those guys. You, I guarantee you, if you fought them, he wouldn't be exchanging with them. So why are you exchanging with this guy? Yeah, you, you know, you got that confidence. Everybody's telling you how great you are. And that's fine. That's good. But you still got to respect the game. And you got to respect who's in front of you. And, and, and Linares is, is, is battle-tested. He may be old, but he can still punch. You know what I'm saying? So you better not put your head out there to get caught with nothing. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what. I'm going to go back over his last few wins, Devin Haney, because I've just found this interesting statistic out while while you were talking there. Um, Linares, obviously, you know, knocked out in all of his losses, apart from that one there against Haney. He was knocked out by Pablo Cesar Cano. He was knocked out by uh, Vasyl Lomachenko. He was knocked out by Sergio Thompson back in 2012. He was knocked out by Antonio DeMarco in 2011 and knocked out by Juan Carlos Salgado in 2009. Um, so Haney, the only guy to beat him without knocking him out. Um, the last fight before that, Yuriukis Gamboa, another guy that Haney was supposed to knock out Haney again in that fight became the only man to beat him without knocking him out um you know he'd, he'd been knocked out by Javante Davis he'd been knocked out by Robinson Castellanos who had a record of 23 and 12 he got knocked out by Terence Crawford um but Haney couldn't knock him out uh, the fight before that Alfredo Santiago because it's been three fights in a row now that Haney's gone to points with guys uh, you know he hasn't he hasn't got a knockout for the last three fights. This guy here, um, Alfredo Santiago, he was undefeated. He was twelve and zero. Haney beat him on points. Since then, he's been knocked out by a guy called Ricardo Nunes, who I think is quite a big banger, but quite limited. Um, Javante took him out in in two rounds. That guy there, um, and then we go back again. The last guy that Haney knocked out was um, was Zor Abdulayev. Uh, that was um, back in. 2019 at the Madison Square Garden Theatre. Um, that guy, you know, he, he he knocked him out. He retired on his store after four rounds. He hasn't really fought anyone since then or prior to that. I think he fought um, Hank Lundy, actually. But the, 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 the one before that as well, Antonio Moran. Um, to be fair, yeah, he knocked him out. He's the first person to knock to have knocked him out in his four losses. Um, so that, that looks okay. But again, the one before that, um, a guy called um, Z- Zolisani Undongani. He was 25-0. and 0. Haney went the distance with him, uh, beat him, took his O. Since then, he's got knocked out by a guy who was 11-10 and 10 with a draw. So, I don't know, man. You look at these, these guys he's beaten, and people that are nowhere near Haney's level are knocking him out. I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> It's like some of these guys are boxer punchers, but really they're just a lot more boxer than they are punchers. And it's like, it's fine. Look, for me, knockouts are great if you can get them. But what's the most important thing? That's that left-hand column. And if you keep winning, so, you know what I mean? Who cares? It's like when Floyd Floyd fights these guys and, like, he was fighting, um, like, uh, like, a, like, like Canelo. I mean... He wasn't gonna knock him out. You didn't really nobody really expected that that level. You know what I'm saying? They just figured he's gonna win by decision. Most of Floyd fights, most people were figuring he was gonna win by decision. Even with Victor Ortiz, most people were figuring he was gonna win by decision, even though he ended up stopping him, even then it was kind of like a little shaky the way it was, but it happened. Um, but still, it's like that doesn't matter as long as you win. Floyd is undefeated. He ain't had a lot of he hasn't had a lot of knockouts later in his career at 147. Like you said, Joe, he's not you know, clearly at 147, right? But still, he's he's there fighting and he's still winning. That's the most important part. You know what I mean? If, if Devin Haney can, re, can 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 continue to win, and he's going to continue to be a star. But he's gonna what he's gonna have to do is if he's not gonna be knocking guys out, he's gonna have to make sure they're not touching. You know what I mean? He's gonna have to, especially with a guy like this. He's supposed to be. He's supposed to beat him and and beat him easily, which he kind of did until the 10th round. You know what I'm saying? And why is that? Because he's out there taking too many unnecessary chances. You know what I mean? Be smart. Win the fight. I think I heard his trainer telling him, his pop was telling him, like, yo, man, just 
do this and win the fight, land these shots. You know what I mean? Stop thinking so much about, you know, oh, he can't punch all that bull crap. And it's like, that's great, but you got to win first. You know what I'm saying? Win first. No, I agree. I just think, you know, if he's going to keep fighting guys that other people have, well, everyone has knocked out and he doesn't get the knockout. He's been three fights in a row now, no knockout, um, you know, and, and he's not having the fights that we really want him to want him to have. I think it's very simple. Why are people annoyed at Haney? It's very simple. I can tell him who to fight next. I can give him five names he can fight next. If he listens to me, people won't hate him because everyone <laughs> wants the same thing. But anyways, whatever. I like Haney. He's been on the show once or twice before. Um people forget, you know, he turned pro I think at seventeen, so he had to he had to fight in Mexico for that to happen. And a lot of his knockouts, by the way, came in, in Mexico and stuff like that. He flew through his first um his first 15 or so fights. Um, but yeah, anyway, he is, he is a future star, no no doubt in that. Uh, that's it for that one. Moving out to the final card to review. This one took place in Halanapodribimu in... I, I completely mispronounced it, but I don't really <laughs> care. It's in Poland. It happened on Sunday. Friend of the show, Arta Spilka, 24-4. Um, I think he's 32 years of age. He got knocked out in one round by the 35-year-old prospect, Lucas Rosansky, now 13-0. and 0, uh, Sorry, now 14-0. and 0. Um, Yeah, it's time for Spilker to hang those gloves up for sure. Elsewhere on the card at Cruiserweight, Matthias Masternek, 44-5. and 5. Um, He moved to... Yeah, 44-5. and 5. It was for the vacant IBF Intercontinental Cruiserweight title. He stepped in against the previously undefeated prospect, 15-0, Adam Bowski. He's now 15-1. and 1. It was a points win unanimously over... 10 rounds, quite wide in the end for Masternak, the clear favourite. But anyway, that's it for the review part of the show. The final thing for us to do here is to welcome Mr. Jean Pascal. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC and reigning WBA light heavyweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Jean Pascal. Jean, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm even better now I'm speaking with you. So, Jean, first things first, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Um, you know, you've you've boxed literally everybody over the years. I'd love to go over all those fights, but we don't have enough time today. We've got to keep it pretty short. Um, let's go back to your last fight, December 28th in Georgia. How do you assess that fight now, looking back? It was obviously a very close fight and was probably one of the best fights of 2019. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, definitely, uh, it was a uh, good fight, a great fight. Uh, I think that was one of the best fights of 2019. Uh, every fight that I've been into, they're always good fights because I'm a crowd pleaser. I love to, to please my crowd, my fans. So that's why, you know, uh, I always train hard because this is my obligation to be in shape, to do my job, uh, to make my fans watch my fight. And, you know, looking back at that fight, yes, it was a close fight because I made it close at the end uh, because I got over overexcited, overconfident after my first knockdown. So, you know, I didn't stay on my game plan. So because of that, Badu Jack was able to come back. But like I said, uh, I won the fight. Definitely, I won the fight. It was a close fight. But that's why we do it again uh, on June 6th. Yeah, absolutely. And like we say, you know, you started fast. You, you you started the fight really well. He seemed to get back into it late on. Um, sometimes in boxing, we want to see a rematch and we don't get it. Sometimes in boxing, rematches happen that no one wants to see again. But this is a rematch I think probably everyone wants to see because the first fight had so much drama and it was close. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, you'll be fighting as part of the Mayweather-Logan Paul undercard against Badu Jack. Do you see the fight? go in a similar way to the first one John uh, I'm glad that we have a, we have the rematch right now sooner than later because like you said uh, a lot of time in boxing we get those rematch but too late uh, right now I, I think the right time we having a big platform on the Mayweather Logan Paul fight we are the co-main event so I'm very excited uh, about that 
and I see the fight is going to be probably uh, the same way uh, of the first fight. It's just this time around, I'm going to take, you know, maybe I'm going to pace myself a little bit more, take my time, not not get overexcited. And uh, because at the end of the day, I'm the better athlete. You know, overall, I'm a better athlete. Uh, I have more skill than Badu. Uh, I got more power than Badu. I'm faster than Badu. Uh, he might have a better defense than me. I can give him that. But like I said, overall, I'm, I'm the better fighter. I'm the better athlete. And you're coming off 18 months out of the ring. Badu did have a fight in that time. He went eight rounds in November. Does that play a part in this fight, considering your inactivity or not? Honestly, I think I'm going to benefit uh, of that lack of activity because uh, I'm going to turn 39. You know, I'm not young anymore. I'm not 21. So I think the long layoff uh, was able to to make me more more energetic for that fight. You know, I had a good rest. Uh, but, you know, even though I didn't fight, I was still in the gym training hard every day. I had an eight-month training camp for that fight, plus I was in the gym. So I don't think I'm going to have a ring rust because I stay in the gym. And like I said, the... I didn't get no punch in my head for like uh, 18 months. So, you know, that's a good things for my age because I'm getting old, I'm older, so, you know, I cannot train like I was 21 anymore because I'm not. Maybe I, I still look young, <laughs> maybe I still look 21, but I'm not 21 anymore. <laughs> and the plan is obviously to get the win, the plan is to move past Badu Jack and not end up having a third fight. Um, what do hey, you... The plan, <laughs> the plan is to have the best summer 2021. I might be 20. I might be 21 because it's summer 2021 this year. <laughs> <laughs> but but what do you feel like you still have left to prove in this sport, John? You know, you've boxed everyone. What is your goal? Honestly, I don't think I have uh, things to prove. You know, still things to prove because I've been there, done that. Right now, you know, I just want to cement my legacy. I want to cement my legacy to be uh, one of the best ever in my weight class. And uh, that's why, you know, that's what drives me to wake up in the morning, to train hard, to have the same dedication than, you know, I had when I was 21 because I want to cement my legacy. It's all about legacy. It's not even about money. Yeah. And like I say, you've been fighting at the top level in the sport for over 12 years now. Um, I want to ask you as well, Coming down to the last two questions, I want to put you on the spot a little bit here. Who comes to mind, John, when I ask, who's your favorite fighter from the UK? The listeners like to hear the answer to this question. Honestly, you guess I had a lot of good fighters in the UK, but uh, I'm going to go with my brother Lennox Lewis because he won the gold medal for my country, Canada. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll go with my uh, brother Lennox. Okay, brilliant answer. A lot of people like to say Lennox. And just finally, Jean, if you've got any closing message, you know it yourself. You've got lots and lots of fans here in the UK. What's your message to the guys that support you from all over the world, but the UK in particular as well? I want to give a big shout out to my brother, Kafraj. <laughs> and also, uh, I want to say uh, I love my UK fans. They're very, very that hard boxing fans and I wish I could fight uh, one more time in the in the UK and you guys can follow me on my social media Instagram Gene Pascal Champ Twitter Gene Pascal Champ as well absolutely everyone go and follow that if you're not already following but listen John it's been a real pleasure speaking with you thank you for your time good luck and I hope we can speak sometime after the fight thank you very much Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. One piece of news to mention at the moment. Former world champion Rob Brandt, he returns to the ring as part of the Lomachenko-Nakatani undercard, which is June 26th. Rob Brandt takes on Janibek Alimkunali. Um, again, probably saying that horrendously wrong. But anyway, that one there is... Um, a middleweight fight. All the best to Rob Brandt. 
All the best to both guys, to be honest. I don't actually know Rob Brandt. Um, anyway, that's it for the news part of the show. Moving on to the preview part. We're going to start here in Mexico at the Hotel Holiday Inn. Um, over here, we've got David Lemieux, 42-4. and four. He takes on David Zagara, who's 34-4. and four. Um, Okay, should be should be a decent a decent uh, show there. Moving out now to again that one's on Friday, so that's tomorrow. Moving out now to another fight that's taking place tomorrow at the Sibor Arena in Saint Petersburg, Russia. Fedor Chudinov, former world champion, he fights here defending his WBA gold world super middleweight title. He's twenty three and two with a draw. He takes on Rhino Liebenberg, who's twenty one and seven with a draw. That's over twelve rounds there. Mikhail Aloyan, um, a guy that was. Four 4-0 until he entered the World Boxing Super Series and he lost his O on points to Zelani Tete. I don't think, I think he's had maybe one fight since then. So his record's 5-1. and one. He's in a 12-rounder against Ricardo Blandon, who's 15-3. and three. Um, Moving out now to the Sheffield Arena Car Park in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This is pretty interesting here. Um, on the card, I'm going to start with this one here. Um, former trainer and opponent of Kelbrook. John Fuchs, he was training Kelbrook for one fight. I think it was the Zarafa fight where Brook looked horrible. Um, his record, though, Fuchs, 21-2 and two with two draws. It's a four-rounder. No opponent just yet for him. He returns to the ring, like I say, after seven years of inactivity. Elsewhere on that same card, friend of the show, former um, outright British champion Bradley Skeet returns to the ring after... Um, after two and a half years out, he got knocked out against Diego Ramirez back in December of 2018. He gets in against Dow Arrowsmith, who's 2-41 and 41 with a draw. I think he's moved up now, now Skeet, to uh, 154. All the best to him, one of the good guys. Moving out now to Germany, Ajit Kabayel, 20-0, former European champion. Um, that... that standout win on his record has to be Derek Chisora, the fight that he had with him in Monaco where Chisora looked absolutely dreadful um, he hasn't really capitalised on that since then, he's picked up a couple of wins but not really against anyone of, of that kind of name uh, that name value, but anyway he defends his WBA Continental Heavyweight title against he's back, he's back, he's back over 12 rounds against Kevin Kingpin Johnson he loves Going to Germany, Kevin Kingpin Johnson. He's now 35 and 17 with a draw. Can he pose any problems to Ajit Kabayel? I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, moving out now to Luxembourg at the Centre Sportif. Um, over here we have Lee Cutler on the card, 7 and 1. He's coming off that loss to friend of the show, Bradley Ray, who we had on a few weeks ago. He's back in a six-rounder against Bojan Velkovic, who's 1-14 and 14 with a draw. And returned to the ring for a really good fighter who I um, who I quite like. I was quite high on this guy, Joe Pigford, 16-0 in a six-rounder against Javika Jovanovic, who's 1-26. and 26. Pigford, I think, has been out of the ring a couple of years, I believe. Um, so, yeah, all the best to him. Moving out now to the... Hmm, where should we go here? Let's go to the Telford International Centre in Shropshire, United Kingdom. Over here, on the undercard, um, we've got Tommy Fury, 5-0. No opponent just yet. Elsewhere on the undercard, Nathan Heaney, 11-0 against Ilian Markov, who's 6-14 with two draws. That's over 10 rounds. Friend of the show, Archie Sharp, was supposed to be fighting on the card. His opponent, Marcio Souza, pulled out with coronavirus. So that fight has fell through. At the last minute there. And the main event, of course, Daniel Dubois, 15-1. Coming off that stoppage loss to Joe Joyce. He's back in a 12-rounder for the WBA interim heavyweight world title against former Jarrell Big Baby Miller victim Bogdan Dinu, who's 20-2. I think his two losses came by stoppage to um, Miller. And I think it was Pulev that knocked him out. Um, I'm pretty sure of that. But anyway, that... That should be quite easy for Dubois. And I tell you what, anyone listening to me now, have a look at the odds on Dubois knocking him out in the first couple of rounds. They are really, really tempting. Um, good to see the big man back, of course, but 
I think he's just going to blow this guy out. And I'm not sure what happens next. He's been talking about the rematch with Joyce. I don't think I would guide him towards that. But he is with a new training team. And um, hopefully he can come back and, yeah, maybe yeah maybe give him another fight against Joyce. See what he can do. But I don't think it's, it's the best move for him. But it's good to see that he's talking about it at least. And he's not running a million miles in the opposite direction. Moving out now to the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida, USA. We're not going to talk about the main event, Mayweather and Logan Paul. We're not interested in that. We're talking about the undercard. Um, Badu Jack, 23-3 and with three draws. He gets in there over 10 rounds against late replacement Dervin Kalina, who's 15-0. and 0. It was supposed to be Jean Pascal. Of course, that fight's now not happening. Um, so, yeah, he's not... He's um he he's not fighting. So Dervin Colina, fifteen and zero, risking his O there at late notice. Elsewhere on the card, we have Vidal Riley, four and zero, UK's very own boxer slash YouTuber slash. I think he's a trainer of KSI or something like that. I'm not sure. He likes to hang out in the Mayweather gym. Needs to fight someone of note because he steps in here against Quintel Thompson, who's five and twelve with a draw. Um, elsewhere on the card, Jarrett Hurd, twenty four and one, steps in against. Luis Arias, who's 18-2 and two with a draw. That's over 10 rounds. All the best to Luis Arias, friend of the show. However, I think uh, that fight's probably going to be at middleweight. I'm not sure if that's at middleweight or, 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 or um, 154. If it's at 154, he really um, is, is up against it. Actually, I think it's probably going to end up being at middleweight. Maybe Hurd's gone up there. I'm not sure if it's just for one fight or not. Um... Yeah, it's up at middle. Maybe Hurd's moving to middle. I'm not sure. Okay, we shall see. Um, yeah, that's it, actually, for the preview part of the show. We've flown through that as quick as possible. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 294 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBC and reigning WBA light heavyweight world champion, Jean Pascal. Once again, this interview was recorded last Thursday um, when last week's show had just gone out a few hours after. And of course, the fight fell through last Friday. So I apologize if any anyone got a little bit confused the fight is off and Badu Jack has a replacement opponent already there has been one uh, big piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show Matchroom have signed a five-year rights deal with DAZN for the UK and worldwide boxing content um, this means that their UK shows will now be available exclusively on DAZN so no more Sky Sports Matchroom partnership all of Matchroom's fights will now be streamed on DAZN DAZN still have their UK price set at £1.99 but I'd expect a pretty hefty price increase within a very short period of time I'd, I'd expect something probably by the end of the week, actually. Maybe the end of the month, if we're lucky. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.